Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkopf, joined by Chris Cotnoir. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing fine, thanks. Excellent. And Riley Fessler is also here with us. How are you, Riley? Not too bad. As we dive into the news and analysis from today, where do we start, Chris? Estonia's Foreign Intelligence Service has warned of Russia's preparation for a military confrontation with the West within the next decade. Um, this comes on the heels of that hard-hitting Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview in which <clears throat> Putin said he had no plans uh, to attack other NATO countries despite the fact that he actually named uh, two of them um, in his interview, Latvia being one, and uh, the other one escapes me for now. Um Again, reiterating the importance, which we'll kind of get to the the passage of the bill in the Senate last night, <clears throat> of the importance of funding for Ukraine, um, because it does not seem like Russia will stop uh, with Ukraine. Of course it won't. And Putin in that interview you know, said Poland was responsible for, you know, it being invaded during World War II. And he believes that Ukraine is part of Russia and he has all sorts of crazy ideas. And uh, we'll get to what happened in the Senate and will happen in the House in a, in a moment. But, uh, you know, the uh, the important resonance of the story is also that Donald Trump the other day said he didn't care what the hell Putin did in Europe. He invited him to attack Europe because he didn't think that Europe was paying its share under um, NATO, uh, once again, demonstrating that it doesn't understand how NATO works. But um, if you think what's going on in Ukraine is just some passing issue and it's going to disappear, 
uh, you're not paying attention. Putin has expanded over the course of the past 20 years into um, uh, 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 Georgia. Um, He has expanded into Ukraine. He has attempted to expand into Moldova. Um, uh, He is on the move, and we need to pay attention and do what we can to stop him. Riley? Well, we have a new poll from Reuters and Ipsos uh, revealing that half of Americans believe uh, President Biden received special treatment in the decision by federal prosecutors not to prosecute him for the mishandling of classified documents. Um, 53% of the respondents uh, shared that opinion, uh, interesting, including 29% of Democrats. Um, yeah, 46%. and the majority of Americans believe in angels, and the majority of Americans believe in a literal heaven and hell, and majority of America, you know, I mean, right. they're half of Americans believe any it, that, that's out there. Um, uh, and, uh, particularly on political matters, you know, if, you know, the, the calculus in the mind of a lot of people based on partisanship is, oh, if this is bad for Biden, I believe it, or I'll say, I believe it. Um, which is something we discussed with Rach- Rachel Bittekoffer in uh, last week's political podcast. People want to talk about why polling results are so meaningless these days. Go listen to that because, People are not answering, you know, honestly or faithfully, and uh, we're getting skewed results as a result. I'm sorry, did I interrupt you, Riley? Is there more you want to say about this? <laughs> the other, the other thing that frustrated me about this, and we've talked about this on our shows, is 78% of the respondents considered Biden too old, but only 53% of respondents considered Trump too old, despite the fact they're incredibly close. Well, in age. you know, it's that's just- critical four-year advantage, you know, around about the time you turn 79. That's the tipping point. When you're 78, though, fantastic. Uh, Of course, Trump would be Biden's age in four years if he were actually elected, Um, but that doesn't seem to matter, and he's in worse shape than Biden, and that doesn't matter, and he was a terrible president. Biden was a good president. That doesn't seem to matter. Uh, And Jon Stewart, you know, decided to talk about this on his return to the Daily Show yesterday, and that wasn't funny, and got the shit kicked out of him by um, people, uh, sort of of a more leftward bent, who said that he was bringing up the issue of aging. I, on the other hand, wrote a whole issue on how do you do this whole article on here's how you deal with um, age the right way, here's how you deal with the age the wrong way. And then the editors, you know, they they made a headline that, you know, sort of made it a bit inflammatory. And, of course, nobody reads the article. So I got all these people saying, how dare you bring up the issue of age? And and it's like, read the damn article. Or people would say, you know, we don't have a problem because we got a great vice president. Like a third of the article says we got a great vice president. This is the bane of existence of people who write articles and promote them on social media which is people respond to the tweets. They never read the articles. Um, and I just block them. I just block them. Like, who needs these people? If you want to comment on my article, read the damn article. And if you don't, blocked. That's why Chris can't follow me anymore. Blocked. It's and half of our members. <laughs> um, Come on. What? What 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 do you got next here? 
The Senate passed a $95 billion uh, national security aid package aimed at providing funding for uh, Israel, Ukraine, um, and other U.S. allies. Uh, The the vote uh, was a 70 to 29 vote in the Senate. Uh, Speaker Mike Johnson has said uh, he will not entertain this bill, uh, despite the fact that in negotiations prior to his um, speaking with uh, former President Trump, uh, they had seemingly negotiated a deal that included border protections that the Republicans were satisfied with. Um, Trump apparently was not satisfied with. Uh, seems there'll be a lot of negotiation in the House, if anything, uh, can or if anything, you know, with this bill moves forward. Um, I guess a positive step in the right direction, uh, and we'll see what happens in the House, though I'm not optimistic. Yeah, I mean, you had a minority of Republicans voting for this uh, bill, about 20 of them. Um, You had people who are like stalwarts for U.S. national security and Ukraine, like Lindsey Graham, going, well, you know, now I've talked to Trump, and maybe we should just make this whole thing alone. Of course, the money isn't going to Ukraine. The money's going to U.S. military manufacturers, 85% of the money. So that doesn't really make any sense, making it alone. Changing these positions, of course, is what they do. Johnson was promising to do this vote. Then he wasn't promising to do this vote. He wanted a border deal. Then he didn't want a border deal. Now he says he wants a border deal again. Uh, Here's the reality. That little Keebler elf, Mike Johnson, is not the Speaker of the House. The Speaker of the House is Donald Trump, and Donald Trump just sees his control over the House by virtue of the existence of this right-wing caucus that is all that keeps the Republicans from, um, you know, uh, uh, keeps the Republicans having a majority. He sees this as his ability to block anything, and that's he thinks that's in his interest. He thinks getting nothing done or having catastrophes or making Russia stronger or blowing up the economy um, is his path to uh, re-election. Uh, and the next big issue we will face this on, quite apart from whether we resolve this, uh, will come next month when we try to determine whether or not there's going to be another government shutdown. And there's a lot of rumbling that the right says, yeah, bring it on, because it'll slow down the economy in an election year. And that's a good thing. This is dysfunctional politics at its worst, Riley. Well, keeping with the theme of defense spending, uh, the International Institute for Strategic Studies released a report uh, showing that global defense spending surged 9% to a record $2.2 trillion last year. Um, and, you know, it's no surprise why they attributed this to multiple factors, including Israel's war in Gaza, Ukraine, Indo-Pacific, North Korea's nuclear ambitions, concerns over China. Um, but I think one of the things in this report that was especially interesting, especially given Trump's recent comments, is the emphasis on NATO. Uh, Non-U.S. members of NATO have raised their defense spending 32% since Russia invaded Crimea back in 2014. Uh, at that time, only two members met that 2% threshold. Uh, now 10 do. Um, so I think this is just a good counterbalance to Trump's you know, claims that are backed by nothing. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, the person most responsible for Ukraine um, uh, 
uh, I mean, the person most responsible for European countries spending more uh, on defense is Vladimir Putin, because they realize they have to defend more on defense to protect themselves from him. Uh, And frankly, uh, I suspect that uh, Trump will have that effect, but not for the reason he thinks. He's not going to persuade them to uh, contribute more of their GDP to defense. He's going to scare them into it because they're going to think, well, we can't depend on the U.S. anymore. Um, he may think that's in his interest. We all spend too much on defense. We should be investing this money uh, in you know, social programs, education, schools, medicine, R&D, um, peace, humanitarian relief, the kind of things that make the world a better place, um, uh, which is, of course, you know, a little bit crazy lefty of me, but that's why I'm here. Crazy lefty in the morning. Um, uh, how, uh, how, what you got, Chris? Uh, President Biden emphasized um, the vulnerability of over 1 million Palestinians in Rafah, urging Israel um, to protect them uh, amid massive airstrikes. Um, Rafa is now uh, the home of more than half of Gaza's population uh, due to displacement from other areas of the war. Um, it seems incredibly inhumane that Israel is targeting Rafa, knowing that there are so many civilians in the country. Um, obviously, President Biden, uh, you know, is urging uh, Israel to do more to protect them, um, but they continue to bomb. It's, it's oh my God, I, 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 man, I just pray for these people. Well, um, uh, sadly, that's all we can do at this point. Um, I, I think what's going to happen in Rafa over the next several days is uh, likely to be horrifying. What's happened thus far is pretty horrifying. Uh, yesterday, Senator Chris Van Hollen got on the floor of the Senate and 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 started talking about the fact that the humanitarian catastrophe that many people have predicted, uh, the, that having to do with uh, hunger, starvation, and so on, uh, is actually started, and that people are now dying of starvation in Gaza. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean... My, in a nutshell, analysis is, is, as somebody who's been very supportive of the president's foreign policy in almost every other area, um, sometimes if you make a policy mistake, um, the, the only way to deal with it is not, you know, incrementally stepping away from it. It's to say this is a mistake and change the policy. And the mistake here is that all aid to anyone under any circumstances is always conditional, despite what President Biden said. It should be conditional to the Israelis. And if they, you know, don't play by the rules that we think they ought to play by, they should get their weapons someplace else. They should get their support from someplace else. We should not be um, enabling what's going on uh, in uh, Gaza right now, no matter how much we may believe in Israel's right of self-defense, uh, because they are definitely crossing the line, and it is bad for the world. It's bad for us. Riley? Well, I just wanted to shine a spotlight on another uh, issue area that is, again, not receiving maybe the headline attention that it should. I love this every day, Chris. Don't, Chris, don't you love it every day, Riley's like, 
And now from a country you've never heard about. <laughs> with today, there's a traffic jam in Vanuatu caused by bad bus purchases. And hey, the people of Vanuatu need they need representation. You're yeah. their voice. The voice Riley Fessler, voice of Vanuatu. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure this is an extremely important story. Go on. So it's the it's the deadliest cholera outbreak in Southern Africa in more than a decade, um, and this kind of is a reversal of trends. Uh, it was the amount of uh, cholera deaths and infections were actually lowering up until 2020, hitting an all time low, uh, but then it has really skyrocketed in the last two years, and it's linked to increasingly ferocious storms, uh, shortage of vaccines, and poor water and sewer infrastructure. So they've made commitments to kind of improve sewers and water systems. But, you know, there's only really so much that can be done on that front. The other problem is vaccines. There's only one manufacturer that can produce them at a global level. And they only produced 37 million last year when the need was at 60. Um, so it's a huge issue with not really an easy solution in sight. Well, you know, it's affordable. We have the technology. We could fix this problem. We just don't prioritize this problem. I do think the fact that it started around the time of COVID brings up another issue, which is COVID hit the world harder than it knows. It's like we took a punch. We were knocked out. We're getting up to our feet, but we're still pretty loopy and we don't really remember what has happened. Uh, we don't really know what has happened to us and how it has affected us. But with long COVID, with economic dislocations, with dislocations to international institutions, which had to focus on one thing and stop focusing on something else, um, uh, I think with lasting implications for the psychological health and well-being of everybody who lived through it, but particularly kids who lived through it and didn't get to go to school and so forth, I think the consequences are much, much greater than uh, many people have uh, thought about. And I will add one other thing here, and that is that there was talk at the beginning of the Biden administration to prepare for the next pandemic. And the Congress made it very clear that they would not be providing money for that. So we are going to come out of COVID, come out of this catastrophe, which killed millions of people around the world, disrupted the global economy, changed everybody's life. And we will be no more better prepared for the next pandemic uh, when it ultimately comes. And it will come. And it will come sooner than we expect for a lot of reasons, including climate change. And that, I think, is going to be seen as one of the big failures of, uh, of this generation, not of any political party, but of this generation in preparing for the predictable. There also was never an inquiry into you know, how we could have screwed up our policy so badly. Uh, and, you know, a million people died. So it's, it's, really, it's really extraordinary that this is the huge, great story of the past five years. Uh, and so much less is being written about it, thought about it, and discussed about it than should be. Um, well, uh, that's it for today. Um, we have a political podcast coming for you a little bit later today. Um, uh, we did an interesting podcast yesterday on Ukraine with our friend Michael Weiss and Mark Polymeropoulos, and I would encourage you to go and look for that, uh, talking about the implications of what Trump said and the implications of not giving money to Ukraine, and also on Russian spying in Europe, which is an interesting area, and it ties directly 
to the story that uh, Chris kicked us off with today. Um, and of course, tomorrow we'll have our big mothership podcast. Uh, and we've got, of course, every day the Daily Blast coming from the New Republic with Greg. Sergeant, what was the topic of that today, Rod? Uh, the, the Biden age issue and kind of why the Democratic establishment is a bit more spooked this time around than uh, in 2020 and 2016. Come on. You know, he's a good president. Trump's a terrible candidate. I mean, we know that. You know, he's a better, much better choice. He's a much better physical choice. We know that. But he's old and it matters to people. And you can't pretend it doesn't. So, you know, you can't just say, oh, he's more vigorous or, oh, that's a stupid critique if people really believe it. You've got to figure out a way to show that, you know, this is a, a, a capable administration going forward, that it's future oriented, you know, that Biden is going to be vibrant and vital enough to stand up to the threats posed by Trump, uh, to focus on the threats posed by Trump. And as I said in this article that I wrote, you know, to let the next generation lead, beginning with the extremely capable vice president um, of the United States, um, who actually gets this better almost than anybody I can think of in terms of what the issues are of today, how to hammer them home, how to motivate young voters, how to motivate women, how to motivate voters of color, how to get the turnout we need. Speaking of the turnout we need, nowhere in this list of stories that you did was the election in New York State today for replacing George Santos. Uh, it's snowing in New York State. That's not a good thing for turnout. Um, but uh, it's a real important election because if the Democrats win, I think the Republican margin in the House is what, down to one? I mean, it's, 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 it's even, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big deal. So, you know, while you're doing your last minute Valentine's Day preparation, sorry to bring this up, Chris, I'm sure you haven't done what you need to do for tomorrow. Have you? Uh, no. Have you bought? Ha what? No, no. In fact, we we had plans to go to dinner, and then we switched it up and ended up going to a Korean barbecue place on Saturday night. Well, that's good. I mean, Korean barbecue because the week excellent. is too busy. Little that like Korean oh, Kore barbecue. They, it's amazing. Us, oh, so good. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Riley, you know do you have any Valentine's plans? Nope. Oh my God, sure don't. I hope everybody is out there listening. Thanks to poor Riley there at home on Valentine's night, having TV dinner, probably undercooked, half frozen, weeping softly into the frozen little mashed potato tin. Uh, you know, let's, let's find companionship for Riley. He's a really good guy. Uh, that can be your Valentine's day. Good deed. Um, until then tomorrow, Valentine's day, Thanks for joining us, everybody, and we'll be back with you again then. Bye-bye.